Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. All right, welcome to the show. Today's episode is a crossover between Locked On Heat and Locked On Raptors. I'm Wes Goldberg. I'll be joined by Sean Woodley of Locked On Raptors. We're breaking down Friday night's game between the Heat and the Raptors. Uh, So enjoy that. Remember to go to iTunes, subscribe to Locked On Heat, rate us and review us. It really helps other people discover the show. It would mean the world to us. Okay, on to the program. You are Locked On Heat. Your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, it's Sean Woodley from Locked On Raptors here with Wes Goldberg of Locked On Heat. How you doing, Wes? I'm doing great, man. This is a great idea to do a little uh, crossover and bridge the gaps between countries and two uh, <laughs> semi-conference finals rivals. I like it. Yeah, I guess it's the Eastern Conference semifinals rematch uh, coming up on Friday night. That's one Again. way to build it, yeah. Yeah, we're uh, we're doing a crossover episode here for the Locked On Network. Um, you can always uh, subscribe to both of our shows at, at Locked On Raptors and Locked On Heat on iTunes and all that fun stuff. Subscribe, rate, review, all that. But um, we we just kind of wanted to, to sort of chat about the start of the season for the Heat and Raptors. I haven't really gotten to watch the Heat all all that much or at all so far. They're not a team that's really on the top of my list of teams that I want to uh, check out on a nightly basis, to be brutally honest. Just no offense because, taken. It's all good. Yeah, no. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, I, I, it's sort of a weird team, right? And they lost, obviously, the Chris Bosch thing is a thing um, that is kind of looming over the team. The, Dwayne Wade is gone, so that's just a whole new dynamic that you're not really used to. I guess let me start with that. Um, what's it like not having Dwayne Wade on the heat now? Um, that's got to be jarring. It, it, it's really strange, and it would be one thing if he had just retired like Tim Duncan, and it would like he was just gone. But mm-hmm. watching Bulls games, and he's right there, and you're like, you're playing for the wrong team, Dwayne. Like, what happened here? <laughs> like, so it's it's really really weird. Um, there's no there's no way around it. Thirteen years, man, in Miami, and just such a huge part of so many different eras of of heat basketball i mean it, the heat have a way of having like a franchise player it's been since pat riley has arrived in miami he's always had either alonzo morning or Dwayne wade on the team mm-hmm. to kind of carry that heat culture torch so to not have either of them now and and alonzo morning is in the front office but he's not on the court and it's very different he's not really involved with that part of the game uh it's it's really strange this is such a a transitional year, probably more than what we've ever really had since Pat Riley's, or probably in the history of the Heat. This is such a major transitional year, and one that we didn't expect uh, to come. So it's it's a lot of everybody's kind of getting grounded because Wade happened first, then the Bosch news really hit where he wasn't going to play. So everybody's like, oh, okay, so this is what's going it's going to be. This is real. Let's get a hang of who these new guys are, and that's kind of what we're doing with Justice Winslow and Tyler Johnson and Josh Richardson and obviously Hassan Whiteside. So. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's something that I wish I could feel sympathy for, but as a Raptors fan, like there's never been that guy who was that like who, who bridged gap between eras and was a part of 
great teams you like guys, Chris Bosh. I mean, Bosch, you guys had Vince Carter, right? So yeah, but you guys but have always been like a... the first stop. It was like Vince, and then he left, and then and then yeah, Chris Bosh went to Miami. Yeah, yeah, Bosh was the closest thing, I guess, just because he was with the team for seven years, and uh, he was like a homegrown guy who you know for a time seemed like he wa- like he wanted to be here. Obviously, things didn't work out in his final season here, and I couldn't blame him for moving on. Um, then the, the Carter thing was very weird because I think it was even more abrupt than the than the Wade thing, right? Because it was mid season. Um, you, you were like two years removed from him being like one of the three or four best players in the league, probably, and like it was it was very jarring to just all of a sudden have Eric and Aaron Williams on your team and not Vince Carter anymore. You guys have been um, pretty consistent now, though. This has been a good uh, uh, few years for you guys with. Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, specifically those two. You guys have one yeah. of the most, like, as far as roster continuity, it's been a really long time for you guys. Yeah, it's uh, it's very bizarre and still sort of, like, you're still getting used to it, um, just because it, what, there was so much upheaval for so many years. Like, mm-hmm. the time between 2010 and 2013 was just some really dark years. You had Ben Uzo, with, like, putting down triple doubles in the final game of the season and costing them, like, two spots in the lottery. Yeah, like... Uh, like Amir Johnson was like the team's best player for a long time and Amir was great but like come on um, De- DeMar DeRozan was like not even close to being what he is now yeah it was well, can uh, I ask you about that because DeMar DeRozan yeah. is off to an incredible start I mean there's so many of these like weird innocuous stats going around but just forget all that I mean he's second in the league in scoring right now right through four games or whatever it's been um, yeah he's been ridiculous how's he uh-huh. been doing this like what's what's different between this DeMar DeRozan and like the DeMar DeRozan of the past, if anything? Um, that's hard to say because the thing with DeRozan is every year he seems to add something. Um, you know, over the course of his first few seasons, it was adding that mid-range game. It was, you know, over the actually for the first few years, it was very much just mid-range and there wasn't much being added. But over the last few years, you know, he's added a lot of, you know, ball handling to his game. He's become a really good passer in like drive and kick scenarios. Um, but like the one thing that people always seem to want him to add is the three point shot. And that's just like not part of his wheelhouse. Last year he was like 34% from three, which I think was a career high for him on like, like maybe one and a half attempts a game. Like it wasn't very much. Um, but yeah, this year it's, I think he just looks a lot more confident. I think he's putting more, as you saw in the playoffs last year, I think he's putting more emphasis on having balance in his shot when he's shooting because you saw in the playoffs and you saw you know through a lot of his career he sort of loved those like super off balance more difficult than they need to be like fall away jumpers from like 18 feet and that's not really a good way to make a living and he's kind of you know last night he was shooting like those 18 footers which is another thing that he hasn't been doing a ton of he's been trying to get to that like 7 to 12 foot range where uh it's a little bit more of a makeable shot for him and he can do some other things he can sort of get some leaners going and things like that and then he gets to the line a ton but the the 18 footers he was hitting last night he was you know planted he wasn't um like having defenders draped all over him he's doing a really good job of getting open and that's on the raptors too like they're you know, running DeRozan around like a ton of screens, getting him wide open, like free throw line jumpers that like he's going to knock down a lot of the time. And, you know, this is like it's not going to continue like this. He's shooting like 56 percent on like with like a thirty five point two PR with like a thirty eight percent usage rate. Like that's all going to come down. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I think just because he is like I think he's just trying to make things easier on himself. After you know, kind of priding himself on making those really tough shots, I think he's 
just trying to he's not taking dumb shots anymore which i think he did a lot of the time and especially in the playoffs last season i think why uh he's been so successful yeah, there's a couple of these guys in the league now, and, and you can even compare them to Dwayne Wade in a sense where even though the league has been trending towards three-point shooting and the value of that efficient shot, um, there's a couple of guys that still just sort of reject it, and Wade was has been that for a very long, for years now. Um, a guy like Jimmy Butler for the Bulls as well, like just DeMar DeRozan. These guys who are like, yeah, I hear all the noise that you're talking about with three-point shots being like what's in vogue right now, and I get that. But this is what I do. And if you don't like it, don't sign me. If you don't like it, don't pay me. This is yeah. just how I play. And I think um, on the Heat side of things, Justice Winslow is a guy who I think could benefit from, almost from that sort of mindset because as much as we want everybody to be a, a, even just a league average three-point shooter, that's just not the case. And people say, oh, you just get in the gym and work on your three-point shot. I think there's, a, there's so many aspects to the game. It's not like you just get in the gym and become better at making assists. It's not like you can just get mm-hmm. the chance. Like, I understand shooting form and coaching and everything, but some guys just can't shoot that well, and it's just not going to happen. Um, it, you know, all it, that aside, bar. I think Winslow, he's been forcing three-pointers up for a lot of the first few, four games of the season. Um, he's averaging more shots, shot attempts than anybody on the Heat right now, so I think he's really been trying to force that because everybody knows what the bill is on Winslow, right? It's He's a really good mm-hmm. perimeter defender. He's really versatile. He could play different positions. He could do a lot of the in-between things for you and make some winning plays, but he's not a good shooter, and that's what he needs to improve, and I think he's been trying to force that. He might be better suited just getting to the rim, just trying to hit 10 to 12-foot jumpers and turnaround shots or floaters or something like that, stuff like that DeMar DeRozan feasted on for his entire career so far i think winslow would benefit from that sort of thinking yeah i kind of think there's really something to like knowing what you're good at and trying to improve on that you know it's sort of like a, like if you're looking at like an nfl team um you'll look at the dallas cowboys for example mm-hmm. like they continue to add to their offensive line even though it's already a strength and they continue to add to that run game and things like that and now it's just such a strength that they're rolling over teams um, I think that's kind of what DeMar is doing. I think he's just really focusing on what he knows he's good at. And he's sort of talked about this before when people ask him about his three-point shooting. He's like, I know I can get to the rim anytime I want, which he can. Like, there are very few guys who can stop him when he wants to get to the rim. Uh, there are a few bigger defenders who have given him trouble in the past. But even, like, last season, there were very few guys who really were able to stop him. Paul George might have been, like, the only one. Uh, you know, there's guys like Jay Crowder and stuff who, uh, like, should give him trouble but they don't and he's he's become really good at what he's good at and he's just building on that so i think that's again do you think he'll be able to do that against the heat because obviously you have justice winslow there um who's a who's a premier uh premier defender and then you have hassan whiteside at the rim do you think demar DeRozan? they're gonna try to make it really hard on DeRozan, and they're gonna probably try to take that part of his game away do you think they, they can do it um i mean I can't recall exactly what DeRozan's numbers were in the playoffs last season against the Heat. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on well, it right him, now. I think yeah, he struggled. Yeah, and, and Kyle Lowry um, were shooting not very well for yeah, that whole... Yeah, that, that all seems to be a belt now. So, yeah, I mean, Whiteside is a problem for sure. Um, but DeRozan doesn't really seem deterred by those big rim protectors. He's really good at creating contact and getting guys into foul trouble, which I think Whiteside could be prone to um, in that game tomorrow mm-hmm. or tonight, yeah. whenever this comes out. Um, uh <laughs> But yeah, that, that's a good call. And yeah, the Winslow thing is he is the kind of guy who you would think would be the kind of guy who could stop DeRozan, who's long, who's really strong, who you is really hard to move off of his position. But again, like DeRozan, 
less and less is having trouble with those guys. Yeah, he's really seemed to emerge. There's a, the Heat guys were talking about um, almost from these quotes about talking uh, about their approach to Toronto for Friday night. Mm-hmm. Almost, it sounds like they're just going to let Demar Derozan do what it is that he does, just score points, and then basically try to take everything away around him, try to lock down Kyle Lowry, try to make sure Jonas Valanciunas isn't getting easy points at the rim. Um, James Johnson, who played with uh, DeRozan in Toronto last season, just said the team is built around him. Um, what what mm-hmm. do you think that means? Because you don't really hear that about a lot of guys where you just say, look, the team's built around him, and we're basically going to try to... Uh, later on, Tyler Johnson, the Heat guard, said, we can limit what the other guys do and we can make stops when we need to. Like, what do you think that means as far as when you were watching the Raptors, how other defenses have approached the Raptors' offense? Are they just? Do you think the Heat will just let Demar be Demar and just try to take away the other options because he can't? Like, I guess Demar Derozan, the idea there is that he can't score ninety-eight points to beat the Heat. Yeah, I mean, I think the Demar of the past, and we we don't know if this is a new Demar or anything. It's four games like this. He could be the the same old Demar, just having a hot streak right now, but. I think the DeMar of the past is the kind of guy who, yeah, you can kind of bait into shooting his team out of a game. Uh, I do find that interesting, though, that Johnson would say that because DeRozan is very much central to what the Raptors do, but Kyle Lowry is equally central. Like, their whole Raptors offense is built around drive and kick, and it's all it's built around Lowry and DeRozan. It's not just DeRozan. They, the, both of them are involved equally in that. Um, so I think if you were really to sell out to try to stop DeRozan, Lowry would just kind of have... Uh, the opportunity to kind of feast too. The thing is, the Raptors are, and they had this problem last season with Bismack Biombo, especially when he was starting. Um, the Raptors right now are playing with Pascal Siakam starting at the four, and he's kind of a guy that teams are really sacking off of, not really paying attention to on defense. And that is kind of a way I think you can slow down Demar and Kyle, where you sort of crowd the paint, make it harder for them to you know penetrate into the defense and either draw contact at the rim or find a kickout and. You know, if Pascal Siakam is the guy that they're kicking it out to at 18 feet, I think teams will definitely live with that. I think that's how you defend the Raptors. I think you have to really collapse and force them to, you know, go to the second and third options and, and fourth options around them because, uh, you know, the, that's where they – like last year it was Louis Scola and he somehow managed to hit a bunch of these. But, yeah. um, but you, that, that's how I think is, you know – how you got to approach defending the Raptors because you know you can just let one of Lowry to Rosen go off or whatever or you can try to sell it to stop one of them but the other one is always there um right. uh I mean we've been talking about the Raptors a lot though let's kind of flip it over to the heat you mentioned James Johnson um people who listen to this podcast and people who comment on Raptors HQ where I write about the Raptors uh, they love James Johnson. The, he was a thing last year where, and the year before, where like, he wasn't very good at all. And when he did play, he was usually bad. He had like a couple of moments here and there where he would like save a game and people would go crazy. Um, but I'm curious, like, what are your early impressions of the James Johnson experience? I can see why he's he's one of those guys that just kind of glows as a fan favorite. You know, he doesn't mm-hmm. do anything in particularly well, but he's athletic enough. That he'll surprise you every once in a while. Uh, he hustles really hard. He fights for offensive rebounds. He fights for defensive rebounds. Even if he doesn't get them, like you can see that he's trying to get them. And fans eat that up. They love that. And I mean, <laughs> Heat fans particularly love that because of a guy named Udonis Haslam, right? Who has made 14 years of a career in Miami doing those things. 
um, and a lot of other things. I don't want to take away from UD. He had a heck of a prime, but um, you know they like James Johnson to me for Udonis Haslam, who is you know in the last couple of years of his career here isn't really playing a lot. He did get some run against the Kings the other night, but that's not really the plan. James Johnson is going to play more than him, and he almost takes over that role. So I think Heat fans are appreciative of that. And <laughs> it's kind of mm-hmm. funny. There's enough lightning rods on the Heat where you're not... I thought James Johnson maybe last year in Toronto started to be that lightning rod. Like, if things didn't go well, people would look at James Johnson and like, what are you doing here for us? Like, what have you done lately? <laughs> um, and that started to happen, and luckily enough, James Johnson's contract ran out so he can get out of Toronto. Not to say Toronto was a bad position to be in there, one of the second best team in the East, but I thought his time was, it was a time for a change for him. And going to Miami now, you have lightning rods like Hassan Whiteside, Tyler Johnson with his $50 million contract, very polarizing. Dion Waiters, I don't even need to explain why he's polarizing. Um, you have all <laughs> these other lightning rods. Goran Dragic, people are still waiting for the return on investment on, on that trade. That James Johnson just kind of flies, like, even if he doesn't really do anything well for a game, people are like, oh, but he's trying really hard. So it's not, he's not the problem here. And we've already kind of come to grips at the power forward position for us. Not going to be a position of strength. Um, anything that's, anything that's positive is just gravy from the power forward position just because the whole Bosch thing just took everybody really by surprise, even though we've been dealing with, with it for a couple of years now. We didn't really expect them to just not be playing at all. Um, so... For me, per- that's really from the fans' perspective. For me personally, I've really I, he's been a, a great defender for them. He's not like his box score stats aren't great. He's basically four points and four rebounds a game. You know, a couple of assists. What I like about James Johnson is he'll he he kind of blends into what the Heat are doing. He'll, he he willingly moves the ball. He'll attack when he's asked to. He won't. He's not going to force anything. He's not going to try to prove himself or play outside of his game. And that's fine because the Heat have so many players right now between the aforementioned players and Josh Richardson and Winslow and all these guys who are trying to prove himself. So so to have one guy that's just there and seems really comfortable with it in his skin, I think that has a good balancing effect on the roster. I will say Johnson's probably a good guy to have with all the young guys on that Mm -hmm. roster. Last year, he would uh, be like the the old man out there playing because the Raptors had a ton of prospects on their roster he'd be the old man out there playing three on three with like Norman Powell and Bruno Caboclo and Bebe Noguera um he was uh very much in tune with the young guys mostly because he wasn't getting any run and I guess he wanted to have some utility to the to the team I will um, which say was I'm, nice. I'm disappointed that he's not rocking the what was it the pink hair or something Oh, he will. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> Once that, like, Something he, so he happen. had the beard at the beginning of training camp and through preseason and stuff. He had the beard. He shaved the beard off. I, I guess the 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 humid weather weather of South Florida. I can understand why you might not want to rock the beard as opposed to like mm-hmm. in Toronto where it's like freezing cold. Um, mm-hmm. I can understand why you don't want that chin sweater, but I need at least some some pink hair. If it's not pink, some some sort of colors. We need to get something because the heat. Really underrated hair game, and James Johnson is just like <laughs> he's got the invitation to the party, but he's not using it. He, it'll come around. James right. Johnson does some weird stuff. Um, actually, speaking of weird James Johnson stuff, uh, at Raptors HQ, my editor Daniel Reynolds mm-hmm. uh, for the last two seasons wrote this uh, article called the James Johnson Watch. Mm-hmm. You should probably go back and check out archives if you want to read weird J- James Johnson stuff. It was one of the weirdest and most fun. Like weekly columns on the internet, uh, oh, if you have if you have any interest in some back James Johnson research, um, 
I want to ask you about Hassan Whiteside, and I guess like the, the, maybe the most exciting thing about this game on Friday, obviously it doesn't really have the same pull that the playoff series did. A lot of the guys are missing from the heat that were there, uh, I mean, especially Wade and James and Joe Johnson. Um, and Hassan Whiteside and Jonas Valanciunas were probably the most fun thing about that pretty horrible series last year. Yeah. Um, they both got hurt. Yeah. I, uh, I, what are you looking for from that matchup? Are you... Were you sort of discouraged by how Whiteside played against JV last year? Because JV really seemed to turn that series into his breakout before he sprained his ankle. Um, yeah, you know, I thought Valanciunas just, he really got the best of Whiteside on both ends of the court. And I thought he just flat out bullied Whiteside. And I agree that, you know, we look at we looked at JV for the last for the several uh, years that he's been in the league and saying, okay, when's this guy going to develop? Because he's got all the physical tools. When's he going to take that next step? You know, when's he going to really become an all-around player and I thought he started to do that just like you alluded to against Whiteside in the semifinals last year until he got hurt unfortunately for the Raptors um so I don't I haven't watched enough of Jonas Valanciunas to see if that's momentum has continued into this season but Whiteside if we know one thing about Whiteside is he like holds grudges or will just try to prove people wrong even if people aren't looking at it like, nobody paid attention to Whiteside's mm-hmm. 2K rating. Zero people paid attention to that rating. And that was, like, people joke about his quote, like, I, you know, I'm going to get that 2K rating up. But that really bothered him. Like, he took offense to being <laughs> on an NBA roster and not having a higher NBA 2K rating. Like, that's something that drove him. He, he plays NBA 2K all the time. He wanted to use himself. He wanted to be ranked an 80-something in 2K. That's a, that's a real, like, it's weird, but, like... You can't knock him for it because, like, whatever works, man, right? Like, if, if you're going to come yeah. out and average, you know, 10 blocks a game or whatever, like, he didn't. But you know what I'm trying to say here. Uh, hyperbole and, and whatnot. But if that's what's going to get you to do that, fine. I don't care what motivates you. Like, I don't care if, like, ice cream at the end of the game on the drive home is what motivates you. I don't care. Just do it. Um, that said... <laughs> I think that Whiteside will try to get back at this because it was very clearly, painfully obvi- obvious that Jonas Valanciunas outplayed him in, in those three mm-hmm. games that the two of them played uh, in the semifinals last season. Um, I've got the stats here. I just thought it was pretty interesting, the disparity. Whiteside, 28 points versus Valanciunas' 55 points. Whiteside, 29 rebounds to Valanciunas' 38 rebounds. They both had four blocks. Valanciunas had six assists. Uh, Whiteside's one. I mean, 55 points to 28 points, 38 rebounds to 29 rebounds. That's really the, the nut of it, and, and just straight up dominated him. And, and Whiteside couldn't get position on him. That was, to me, the most interesting thing, was that Whiteside can get position on just about anybody. He's so long, so athletic, so strong, that he there was very few people that could push him off the spot. Valanciunas did not let him get position. I was really impressed by Valanciunas in that way. Yeah, I think JV, like, it's sort of weird. He's had... Uh, like a lot of success against Whiteside's sort of proto- like prototype, the, the sort of diving, shot blocking big man. Like Andre Drummond, like poor Andre Drummond, he gets feasted on by Valanciunas every time they play. You saw it in the first game of the season. Valanciunas went for 32 and 11 um, and just, you know, totally dominated Drummond in that matchup. I don't know what it is. It might be just the fact that Valanciunas is really strong and they can't really contain him in the post when he gets his post touches. It might be that. Uh, I really don't know what it is, really. It might be that he can overpower guys defensively because he's so much stronger. He really struggles with guys like Marcin Gortat and Yusuf Nurkic, who he played back-to-back this week. And, you know, Monday, Tuesday, so Monday, and Wednesday. Theory, then. Yeah. And I don't – I take this however you want, people listening, loyal listeners of both programs. I think it's just that farmer white boy strength. It's just like 
I don't I don't know where Jonas Valanciunas is from. I'm sure I'm just ignorant and I could easily look it up or I probably should know. Lithuania. Um, fine. I don't know what they do over there. I don't know if they're like lifting hay barrels or or what what I don't know what they do, but it's just like that that just really like weird white boy strength. I think that's what it is. And Yeah. And it's hard to knock that guy off his game. It's hard to knock that guy off his tractor, so to speak. And I think um that has a lot to and he's just so imposing physically. Like I think you're right. People don't give him like all these guys are like seven foot something, two hundred something pounds, but he's really strong. That dude's like just so strong and and that's such a huge part of his game. Yeah, I'm really excited just to watch this matchup because I think it's gonna be good. I think both of these guys that 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 series went to seven games, right? So these guys got to play in less than half that series, and I don't think that they were ready to give in to that. You know, unfortunately, injury forced them to the sidelines. I think both of them have been looking forward to this matchup, if I'm just going to guess. Oh, man, they were easily the best part of that series. I mean, after they left, it was just like dueling isos between Joe Johnson and DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry and Dwayne Wade, and it was not fun to watch at all. Um, that said, I think there's going to be... The difference between that playoff series and right now is that both now both of these teams after the summer are in very different places. Toronto, I think, is really trying, obviously, to get back, make up another playoff run, get into the uh, Eastern Conference Finals, and then and hopefully beat the Cavaliers and get to the finals. That's the goal, right? And for Miami, it's it's admittedly a rebuilding year. This is not a team that really looks at Toronto as a competitor anymore. They're they're looking at Toronto as okay, you guys are. You guys have the continuity. You guys have the roster. Go for it. We're trying to build, rebuild something here. So I think for Miami, it's going to be a lot of, all right, what can we get Winslow to do? What can we add to Tyler Johnson's plate? How can we continue to use the waiters in the right way and not the wrong way? All these things that they're trying to, Eric Spolster are trying to figure out while Toronto's like, all right, let's just get through this regular season with as many wins as possible and get into the playoffs. I did mm-hmm. want to ask you, though, this Raptors team, you, you talked about their, their uh, weaknesses in that roster. This team looks to me like they have a trade to make. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think they definitely do. Last year they were in a tough spot. I think they were in a place to make a trade last year too, but they just didn't really have any contracts that they could move to match salaries. This year, Terrence Ross's new deal is, is kicked in. Um, you know, They have Jared Selinger's money on the books. They have Patrick Patterson on an expiring contract. So there are guys that they can piece together to make a package for, I don't know, it, I think if there's a trade that's going to put them over the top, it's probably like a Paul Millsap. And that's who I was like going to say. Is, yeah, and I mean Atlanta's playing really well right now, so I'm not even sure that's going to be on the table. Right. Um, I mean, we're I think in Toronto, everyone's kind of rooting for Atlanta to to take a nosedive just because uh, like he is the the ideal kind of guy for the Raptors. He would fit so perfectly both on both ends of the floor. It, it's just it's too too good of a fit to like even like imagine it coming true because uh things don't happen like that in toronto but um <laughs> but yeah it's uh it's Millsap, and other than that you know serge Ibaka, if he was playing a little better and if he didn't look like he was maybe 37 years old or whatever the hell he is uh Dude, he might be so kind of a guy that, this season don't yeah. you don't want any part of that he's been so bad this year yeah no he uh yeah, he's a guy who like. What about somebody like in theory would be like Derek Favors? Let's say Utah decides. All right, look, we've got all this money. We understand the George Hill. We have to resign him at the end of the year. We want to try to maintain some flexibility. We need to part with Derek Favors. We really like uh, Trey Lyles. We want to get him on the court more. Whatever, like whatever the thing is. Um, does Favors work? 
I think he would be less ideal than, than Millsap just because him and Valanciunas would make things really crowded in the front court and you're already dealing with uh, with a guy like DeRozan who doesn't shoot threes. So you're really hampering the spacing on the on, on the roster and on the starting lineup. I mean, he'd be better than what they have now. It's Pascal Siakam, who I like long term as like a nice energy guy, but uh, you know he probably shouldn't be a starter right now. And yeah, favors would be a significant upgrade there. I'm just not sure that would really play in a series. Like if you're trying to match up against the Cavs, I'm not sure favors would really play That's against the Cavs. Point. Yeah, I think that just it, they'd probably get roasted. They would only be able to play one of favors or Valanciunas at a time, I think. Um, and then that's kind of you know go, going counterintuitive to why you made the trade in the first place. So sure. favors is a, is interesting as like a like a backup option, I suppose. Lamarcus Aldridge is a guy that got Ooh. mentioned, I think, in Zach Lowe's preseason column um, as someone who potentially might get traded if things go bad in San, San Antonio. I don't think they're going to go bad in San Antonio. It so, like it. Yeah. But, and, and I don't know if he'd be a perfect fit either just because he's not a great defender. Um, and that's kind of what you need next to Valanchunas because he isn't super mobile. You need someone who can guard the smaller guys out to the perimeter. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't... Other than Millsap, I don't see a trade unless something miraculous comes up. Boogie Cousins, Boogie Cousins has been sort of the, the the secondary dream behind Millsap, but like that's going to require you trading Valanciunas most likely and putting a whole bunch of other stuff into a pot. And then even then, this is sort of the issue too, is that Boston can trump anything that the Raptors want to do for any, any one of these guys. Um, so you're just kind of hoping, yeah, you know, to get one of those secondary guys almost that Boston doesn't see as like a significant upgrade for their team. Um, so it's a weird spot to be in. Um, yeah, I wonder if like they would be willing to play like Nick Batum at the stretch four or something if things go south in Charlotte and they want to try to find some flexibility. I don't know. We're just spitballing here. I think Toronto's going to be like a they're going to be a trade machine favorite this season for sure. I agree. I think Batum was definitely a guy that they wanted to go after too in the offseason um, before he re-signed in Charlotte. I think, you know, when they signed Damari Carroll, there was rumors that they wanted to sign Wes Matthews as well and go with a super small lineup to start with uh, DeRozan, Matthews, and Carroll from the two to four positions. So I think they're open to something like that. They're not really playing that way right now because Carroll's working his way back from an injury and that's its own set of issues. But um, yeah, th- there's there is a trade to be made i'm just not sure it's out there and that's too bad because other than that they're just kind of playing second field to the Cavs, which they might do like any one of these trades doesn't guarantee they're going to beat the Cavs anyway because lebron has lebron yeah 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 it definitely seems like they have another trade to make um let's see. uh so to wrap up things here uh we were talking about the raptors sort of you know outlook for the season What's your sort of prediction for where the Heat are going to end up? And like, what would you like to see them do in terms of next steps in building this thing? Would you rather see them trade thing, trade guys off and just go all young and get rid of Dragic and things like that? Or would you like to see them try to uh, stay you know, stay afloat and then maybe just add a guy in the offseason and free agency if they can? Or what do you hope to see? Yeah, so... It's tough, right? Like, you, you watch these games, and, and this team can show flashes of playing really well together. Um, they're playing a lot more team ball. They're assisting a lot on a lot more field goals this year as opposed to the ISO-heavy play of uh, Dwayne Wade and Joe Johnson and even Chris Bosch to some respect. Um, so this team's fun to watch. And for me, like, the whole thing this year is about development. I mean, 
you look at the Timberwolves of last year, they won 29 games. They hardly won any games, but everybody was high on them at the end of the season just because they flashed so much potential. So to me, it's more about the development of Winslow and Tyler Johnson, getting these guys in the right situation, making sure that they're um, that they're developing. I, like For me, I would rather see Justice Winslow shoot 35% from three-point range than the Heat win 35 games. You know, I would that would be more mm-hmm. important to me. So I guess that's like the best thing. That said, and and also to go along with that, it would be nice to add to get into the lottery and add a lottery pick to this group. I think that would be the don't have many first round picks in the next three or four years, but they have one in this draft, and this is supposed to be a good draft. So to add a lottery pick to this group would be really, I think, would be tremendous because let's face it, they're not gonna they're, if they make it to the playoffs, they're gonna be a doormat in the first round. That's just what they're gonna be. As much as a morale boost that would be to a young team, there's more value to me in just trying to play well. And the whole like this whole, you know, you hear that a lot. Like young teams, it helps to get to the playoffs. We saw that with Portland. That, like it helps them to get into the playoffs and they build confidence from there. I think the Heat with that quote unquote Heat culture that they kind of put out there and everything you hear from the players it's it's real you know like there's something to that so I don't know that you net like there is already a winning culture in Miami so it's not like you need to make the playoffs to prove that they can win I think they believe that they're a couple years away from being able to compete in the Eastern Conference whether that's true or not I think that's what they truly believe so making the playoffs to me is irrelevant that said I'm gonna I'm gonna watch this team Winning's going to help this team develop. I don't want to see them trade Goran Dragic. I think that's a huge mistake. You've got to try to get that return on investment. If by the trade deadline they're like 10 games below 500 and, I don't know, somebody comes calling, like let's say Utah comes calling and they're like, you know what, I don't think we're going to be able to resign George Hill for anything close to what he's going to be maxed out from what we're hearing in this, in in league circles. Somebody's going to overpay for him. We don't have enough money. Um, we want to trade for Goran Dragic. And they're offering you know, a young prospect like Dante Exum or something that maybe they're willing to move on from or Derek Favors or something like that. I don't know. Just a couple of players, like bit players that, that are still young and maybe fit this window a little bit more. If, if you're the Heat, you got to start listening mm-hmm. to that kind of stuff. But I I want to see what Dragic has left before that. I don't want to trade him anytime soon. If, if he's going to get traded, maybe it's during, I think, maybe the summer when this team can find a young point guard to help lead this team. But what he brings to the team as far as helping these other guys develop is so important, it's more valuable than just trading them for draft picks, like just for blank blank slate draft picks. I don't want to see that happen. Uh, that's my long-winded answer of basically saying I just want to see this team develop, and yeah. I have no expectations. Fair enough. Um, I think we covered a lot of ground here, Wes. Yeah. Uh, I really appreciate you joining me to talk about the Raptors and Heat. hope everyone enjoys the Raptors and Heat game tomorrow night. And as we mentioned, the Eastern Conference semifinals, long-anticipated rematch. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> So you can find Wes uh, I Locked on Heat, obviously. Where are you on Twitter, Wes? I'm at WC Goldberg. Um, okay. That's me on Twitter. But more importantly, I just want people to subscribe to Locked on Heat in, on iTunes and leave a review because – and do the same for Locked on Raptors. I mean, you guys are one of the newest shows to the Locked on Podcast Network, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we're only uh, a couple weeks into it now. So Yeah, so, I mean, the Locked on Podcast Network, the largest growing sport uh, sports podcast network – on the planet think about that on the entire planet of earth which is by what we know the most populated planet on the universe so that's like (laughs) the biggest podcast network known to man that's a pretty big deal um so uh a, a podcast for every nba team for every nfl team so 
If you're uh, a Heat fan, you're probably a Dolphins fan. Go subscribe to Locked On Dolphins. Do all that. Explore what Locked On the Locked On Network has to offer. But most importantly, go to iTunes, rate us and review us, both Locked On Raptors and Locked On Heat, because it really helps people discover these shows. It's a brand new network. It's fast growing. We need to help people discover the shows because you enjoy listening to this. Share the wealth, man. It's all about sharing and caring. So that's what we want. That is what we call a plug. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much, Wes. I uh, really appreciate it. Everyone, do everything Wes just asked you to do uh, because he's completely right about everything he just said. Hopefully we can do this again on the road, man. Yeah, thanks, Sean. This was good. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.